For centuries, the temple of the Jews was the earthly symbol of God dwelling with his people. It was the place where the glory of God was seen and where the Jews would go to worship the Almighty. While there's no longer a temple in Israel where God is making himself known, it doesn't mean that God is without a temple on the earth. So where does he dwell now? Well, that's what we're talking about today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm so glad that you're making God's Word a priority in your life. We'll begin today in the New Testament book of Ephesians at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, while you climb aboard the Bible bus and you find your seat, we got just enough time to read a letter from Mike. He's in Vancouver, Washington. I just signed up for regular monthly donations. I noticed that some of the seats on the Bible bus are getting a little worn and need recovering. I hope this will help. Thanks, Mike. I've been on the Bible bus on and off from the early 70s until July 1st, 2014, when I retired. Life had a way of interrupting the ride, but God always brought me back when I needed a prod in the seat of the pants to turn back to my first love. It worked every time. Now I'm a full-time passenger and in the scriptures every day, along with some great fellow travelers from all over the world. What a joy it has brought to my heart every morning to be pulled closer to Jesus through the word of God and reminded of his grace and love. My personal worries and struggles just evaporate the moment I hear the hymn overlapping Steve's voice, followed by Dr. McGee. It is even so much more when Greg is on and shares true accounts of God's work in people's hearts and lives from other countries. I love you guys so much. I could just listen to Dr. McGee, but it wouldn't seem the same. I even am a member of the World Prayer Team. I need a little more work in that area, but I'm growing and improving. To all through the Bible who are not seen or heard, you are a part of this special ministry that I deeply appreciate beyond what words can express. Keep on, keep the faith, keep blessing the hearts of untold numbers the world over. I hope my small donation will help. Well, thanks, Mike. There are quite a few unsung heroes in this worldwide ministry, and I'll be sure to pass along your kind remarks. And we sure do appreciate your faithful prayers, as well as your sacrificial gifts that do keep the Bible bus rolling in your community and in more than 250 languages. This really is a team effort, and we're so glad to have you on the team. Now, Through the Bible is entirely supported by God's grace and the generosity of friends like you. So if you feel that God's urging you to join Mike, myself, and others in providing that tank of gas or that proverbial oil change for the Bible bus, visit us today, won't you? ttb.org, or you can give us a call at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your spirit who speaks to our hearts and opens our eyes to our own sin and how you can help us have victory over it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's dig into Ephesians 2 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come to the second chapter of Ephesians And it actually continues the thought that we had in chapter 1. It opens with the little conjunction, and, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, he's talking about that tremendous power that raised Jesus from the dead. Well, that power is the power that makes us a child of God because we're dead in trespasses and sins, as we shall see, But now we have been made alive, as he's going to say in Christ. Now, that takes power, and it takes the resurrection power. And it was the thing that so many of God's children have wanted to experience. I think Francis Ridley Havergill expresses it in probably as lovely and fine a way as it could be. Oh, let me know the power of the resurrection. 
Oh, let me show thy risen life in calm and clear reflection. Oh, let me give out of the gifts thou freely gavest. Oh, let me live with life abundantly because thou livest. I'm sure that's a prayer in the hearts of many of God's children today. Now he's going to reveal here something of that tremendous power that God will release today in the life of one who will turn to Jesus Christ. He'll lift him out of spiritual death and the spiritual life. That's tremendous power. God seems to be rather reluctant in letting man have power, and I think you can see why. Just think of the centuries that went by, and man knew nothing of atomic power. Then man discovered atomic power, and it changed the world. And what did it do to the world? Make it a wonderful place to live? No, my friend, it made it a frightful place to live, because man today, with the power to destroy the world and the power that's in the little atom, Man's dangerous today, and I think that we're living like an ostrich with our heads in the sand if we're saying to ourselves, no nation dares to release that power. My friend, there are many men that are in positions of power today. If they thought they could get by with it, they'd turn it loose tomorrow. In fact, I think they'd turn it loose today. And therefore, man's dangerous with the use of physical power. Maybe God's reluctant to release other power for man. But now we see this power exhibited here. And this chapter actually will deal with another theme. The last chapter of the church is the body of Christ in the world today. And that body is the way you express yourself. And the Lord Jesus expresses himself in the world through his church. Now, the theme of this chapter is... The church is a temple, and it is the temple that I think corresponds to the temple of the Old Testament, which was in turn preceded by the tabernacle of the wilderness. And I think the comparison is quite self-evident, but the contrast is sharp and striking. Now, the tabernacle and temple, for instance, were made of living trees of acacia wood. And they were hewn into dead boards. But the church now, God takes dead material and he makes it into a living temple. The tabernacle and temple were dwelling places for the glory of God. Now, the church is a dwelling place for the person of the Holy Spirit. And the tabernacle and temple were for the performance of a ritual and the repetition of a sacrifice for sin. The church is built upon the one sacrifice of Christ in the historical past, and a sacrifice which is not repeated. That is what the writer to the Hebrews says, "...nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the age hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, there is no ritual in the church. As a temple, it is functional. The Holy Spirit moves through the living stone. There's no ritual in the church. I disagree with those that seem to think that the church has been given a ritual. We think today that we've had a church service if we 
open with the doxology, and we have a prayer, and sing hymn number 268 in all 16 stanzas. And then we sit down and read the Scripture, and that means you've had a church service. Only thing that means is you went through a ritual, and the church has no ritual. Now, wait a minute. Somebody's going to say, then we're not to do that. Well, I don't know how else you can do it. But the point is, just going through the exercise and mouthing words, my friend, has become meaningless to a lot of folk. And these things should have meaning. And they are proper, of course, when there is meaning that is expressed there. Now, will you notice the impressive fact of this age that God is not dwelling in a temple made with hands, but he's indwelling individual believers. Let me read Acts 17, 24, and 25. Notice this. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he's Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things. We are told today that, don't you know, Paul says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Now, I think I ought to emphasize right here this very important thing. And that is, back in the Old Testament, God really didn't dwell in a temple. When Solomon built the temple, you remember that at the dedication, he got up and made this statement. He said, The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, and how can this little temple? And they understood, every instructed Israelite understood God didn't live in a little box like a great many of the liberals have said. I heard a man at Cole Lectures at Vanderbilt University years ago give a lecture, and he said that the Israelites, they had a primitive viewpoint of God that he could dwell in a little box. And I wish that man didn't have a primitive view of the Bible. If he'd just read it, he'd find out that back in the Old Testament, they didn't believe God could live in a little box. And God never did live in a house down here. That's where he met with the children of Israel. And that house had a ritual. It had a sacrifice. The church has none of that today. Now, will you notice there's another very sharp contrast to the Old Testament temple, and that's the position of the Gentiles. Now, you will recall that they were proselytes, and there was the court of the Gentiles. And if you are ever in Jerusalem, go up to the holy city hotel and see that replica. It's made into a miniature of how the city of Jerusalem looked in the days of Herod, which are the days of Christ, of course. And you'll see at the temple that the Gentiles were way off to the left as you look into the temple. They didn't get very close. And Paul's going to say here in this chapter, ye, that is ye Gentiles, who were sometimes far off, you made nigh now by the blood of Christ. We've been brought in pretty close. In fact, we're seated in the heavenlies in Christ. And you couldn't improve on that, my friend, by any means. Now, this gives us something of the background of this chapter that we're entering now. And I would like for us to come to the first verse. And as I do, let me say that I've divided this chapter into three major divisions. You have the church as a temple, remember, and you have, first of all, the material for construction, first 10 verses. Then verses 11 through 18, the method of construction. 
And then in verses 19 through 22, the meaning of the construction. And all of this is very important. Now you have the material for construction. Now will you notice verses 1 and 2 here. And I'm reading from my translation. And somebody says, oh my, not another translation. And I want to say the same thing. I do not recommend my translation at all. I've used it for years here in Southern California, and it's known out here as the Magiacus Ad Absurdum Translation. I don't recommend it. Don't recommend my own at all. And I haven't attempted to really translate. What I've attempted to do is just to pull the original words over into the English that you might maybe get a little different viewpoint. I don't recommend it as a translation, but I hope you'll follow along and notice this. And you being dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Now somebody says, wait a minute, you left out half he made alive or quickened. Well, that's not in the original. And you'll notice that in your Bible it's in italics. And it's put in there to smooth out the translation. And I'm perfectly willing to admit that it belongs there or something belongs there to give explanation. And it's all right. But as I said, I'm trying to pull out the original and give you the meaning here without attempting to make a smooth translation. And you, being dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the age, or the spirit of the age, that is, according to secularism, according to the way of the world, according to the principle of this world, that is, the principle of the world, that doesn't mean the physical universe. It means the cosmos, the society, the civilization that we're in, our life pattern, if you please, our lifestyle, the lifestyle of the world today, according to the prince of the power, that is, the authority of the air. And you can translate that by the haze or the smog of the spirit that now worketh that is, energizes in the sons of disobedience. The devil takes this dead material that we're dead in trespasses and sins, and he energizes it. And that's the reason that these cults are as busy as termites, and with the same result. They're busy. That's the reason false religion, friends, puts us to shame, because Satan is energizing it. Somebody says to me, you know that, they tell me miracles are being performed in this cult. I won't argue that. Maybe they are. I know a lot of this is exaggeration, but who's doing it? That's the thing I want to know. And Satan is able to duplicate a great many of the miracles that are scriptural miracles. After all, wasn't the magicians down in Egypt able to duplicate Moses' miracles at first? There came a day when they couldn't, of course. When you get into the realm of the new birth and you begin to get close to God, then Satan is powerless there. But long as it's to delude and to deceive people and lead them astray, the devil is potent today, and he's potent in these cults and isms of the world. Now, will you notice there's something about this section here, and I'd like to say this because you'll need this to understand it. And one is this, that... All the way from verse 1 through verse 7 here is what is known in Greek as a periodic sentence. 
That means the one who wrote this wrote an even a little bit better than the Koine Greek of that day. Classical Greek is filled with periodic sentences, and that's the reason it's difficult to read. It has all kinds of genitive absolutes, all kinds of phrases, tenses, and my, it's not easy to read. And Koine Greek here generally is rather easy to read. But here you have a periodic sentence, which reveals that Paul, when he wanted to, he could really put it on the line, and he does here. Now, the authorized version breaks this up into a sentence that ends at verse 3. And that's not only permissible, that is entirely right here because you have a contrasting statement that's made here, joined by a conjunction, and they're perfectly willing to do it. Now, as we've already indicated, the and connects this chapter with the previous chapter. Paul's been talking about the theme of salvation and the mighty power of God. And Paul picks up the theme of the greatness of his power in verse 19 back in chapter 1. And this is the power which quickens dead sinners. You being dead. Now, that speaks of the death all of us have imputed to us in Adam. Paul mentions it in Romans 5:12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. They've all sinned how? In that first man. Adam's sin made me a son of a fallen Adam, and I have the same nature that he has which is a fallen nature, and I have no capacity or inclination to God. I was dead in trespasses and sin. Now, when I look back upon my conversion, I really think it is a miracle how in the world God could save a little boy brought up in a home. I won't say it was godless. My father had great high moral principles, and he was known as an honest man. But he was not a Christian. In fact, he's antagonistic to the church. He never darkened the door of a church, but he made me go to Sunday school as a boy. And I always argued about it. Then my dad died when I was 14, and I found myself adrift in the world. I run all the way to Detroit, Michigan, to get away from every authority. And I began to work not for Ford. I turned that job down. They were looking for workers then. I went and got a job with Cadillac. You probably wondered why the Cadillac car such a good automobile. I'll tell you why I worked for them. Not long, but to make it a good car. And then I got an awful sin. I got with a group of men up there, one man from Hungary. He thought I looked like his son that had died. And he took me on his wing, but he was a sinner. And he led me to places that a 16-year-old boy ought not to be taken. And I got homesick, though. Now I look back, and God made me homesick. <laughs> and I went back home, and if I hadn't, I'd tell you the devil had won the day. I was dead in trespasses and sin. And then a man told me I could have peace with God through Jesus Christ. How wonderful that was. Now, I say that's a miracle. I wasn't looking for God. I was running from him as fast as I could. And being dead in trespasses and sin, that's the picture of us today. For since by man came death, By man came also the resurrection of the dead. Now, Adam died spiritually the day he disbelieved and disobeyed God, and he ran away from God. He wasn't looking for God. He hid from him. 
That's the position of the natural man. This idea that man has a little spark of the divine and he's looking for God. That's as false as anything can possibly be. That day Adam died to God and to the things of God. He didn't die physically until 900 years after he ate of the fruit. Now, it just simply meant he had no longer capacity or longing for God. He separated from God. And after all, death is separation. Physical death is separation of the spirit, of the soul from the body. And that's death. We don't see the spirit and soul, but we sure see a dead body. The highest level of living for man was the physical and the mental. And he's passed on to his offspring this same dead nature, dead to God. And only the convicting work of the Holy Spirit can prick the conscience of any man in this world today. And you and I can't do it. Only the Spirit of God can do it. I had the privilege of being pastor of a great church in downtown Los Angeles. I followed men that were great men. The founder of that church was Dr. R.A. Tari. I wanted to do a creditable job. I wanted to bring glory to God. And I always would remind myself every time I left the radio room to go in on the pulpit platform to preach, I would say, Oh, God, I recognize that today I'm helpless and hopeless. I'm speaking like speaking into a graveyard. Many will be there dead in trespasses and sin. But then I'd say, Oh, God, I'm powerful if the Spirit of God will move there, for only the Spirit of God can speak. The dead men can hear. And thank God, the Spirit of God spoke as he does on this radio, and dead men are able to hear. And the Lord Jesus said when the Spirit of God came, he would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You and I live in a great cemetery in this world. Men are dead. The Irishman made a statement. Someone asked him what a cemetery was. He says, well, a cemetery is a place where the dead live, and that's the place where we live today. Dead men, dead in trespasses and sins. Over this country years ago, there went a famous judge giving a famous lecture on millions now living will never die. There followed him a great preacher, and he came into town and gave a lecture. Millions now living are already dead. And you know he was more accurate than the judge was because millions have already died. <laughs> and the interesting thing is there are millions today, several billion, dead in trespasses and sins. And that's the picture that speaks of us in trespasses and in sin. Trespasses speak of what Adam did, and sins means that you and I missed the mark. What a picture of mankind today. Well, we're going to pick up right there next time and move right on. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Is the Spirit of God pricking your conscience today? There is hope for this life, and it's provided to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We call this salvation. And God freely offers you this gift when you enter into a relationship with Him. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? There you'll find several free, downloadable resources that we've set aside just for you. Or if you'd prefer to receive a couple of these resources by mail, please call 1-800-65-BIBLE. 
Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE. ttb.org is also the place to visit if you're looking for some terrific Bible study resources to help you go deeper in God's Word yourself. From Dr. McGee's notes and outlines to our ministry newsletter, more than a 100 digital books and Bible companions, and so much more. There's really something for everyone there, so check it out. I'm Steve Schwetz, as always, inviting you to join me next time as the Bible Bus continues its journey through the wonderful letter to the Ephesians. As we go, here's a quick something from Dr. McGee to finish up our study today. Thomas Hobbes, when he lay dying, said, and he was an infidel, by the way, throughout his life, he said, I'm taking a fearful leap into the dark. Edward Gibbon, English historian and member of parliament, famous for his decline and fall of the Roman Empire, was, however, a noted atheist, Just before he died, he said, All is dark. Mirabeau, the French revolutionist and Jacobite, held no room for Christ in his life, but when dying pleaded, Give me more laudanum. I don't want to think of eternity. Jesus Christ, the man whom all these rejected, said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came home, to him I home. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed it white as Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?